From Harris Studios, this is Accounting for Tomorrow, an accounting and advisory services podcast for community leaders with a passion for change. We are ready to look past the numbers and ensure that today's planning efforts create success for tomorrow. Thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Cheryl and David, both partners with me at Harris CPAs, and we're coming up on year end and we time to talk taxes. So we're here today to talk about individual tax and tax planning and get us all set up and ready for the end of 23 and into 24. Just really quick to get us started off, David, give us a little overview of tax rates and any high level changes or brackets that are going on for this year. Yeah, in relation to that, Josh, we're still at the seven brackets. No big changes to the amounts on taxable income. It's more inflationary increases. In relation to those, obviously, they still run from 10% to 37%, so no real big changes in those marginal rates. We still want to take those under consideration in planning, obviously, and use them. I'm not going to go through every bracket just because they change every year and I don't memorize them. It's just the concept of how they're used. And so in relation to that, marginal rates are where we save our taxes, so If we're trying to save taxes and take a deduction, we look at the marginal rate we're in and whether or not we drop into a lower one. And that's how we determine our tax savings. So kind of a difference I think we should talk about is a lot of people will bring up effective tax rate. Is that important or isn't it? It is from maybe a cash flow standpoint, but in relation to the overall view of tax rates, it's after deductions. So there is a difference between effective tax rate and marginal tax rates. So if I understand correctly, we've got effective and marginal rates, but then also the actual rates are staying very consistent from last year with maybe just the brackets adjusting for inflation. So pretty consistent, at least from last year to this year. Yeah, that's what it looks like. It's stayed pretty consistent. So as we talk about taxes and tax planning, one of the first things that come to mind is kind of the timing of income and timing of tax deductions. And how can we possibly save taxes based on some timing differences or what are some strategies related to that? There are some timing items like IRAs that can be done in April, employer contributions to pension plans, which can be extended out to September, October. And so there's a few items that we need to take a look at in relation to that. Other items that we might look at to consider before the end of the year is maybe paying your mortgage interest sooner, the January payment, December, donations. Now, an interesting thing with donations might be like a donor-advised fund where you could fund it and you don't need to know necessarily who the charity is that you're going to give it to, but you get it funded before the end of the year to get the deduction into place. There are items like appreciated stock donations that could take place before the end of the year. It's a lot easier to control the timing of deductions on a cash basis just because you control when the cash is spent. So you have to evaluate both. Am I trying to save taxes or am I going to have a better year next year and I need to push that into the next year? Or do I try to get income into the current year versus next year because I know I'm in a lower income bracket right now? So those are a few options available and timing and whatnot. Excellent. I think, and Cheryl, maybe you can 
provide some color on this, but we get a lot of questions about stock sales, capital gains, treatments, harvesting losses is what people or at least investment advisors tell. Maybe talk about the timing for that and the reasons why people should be looking at their portfolios right now. Sure. So a lot of mutual funds, especially, will distribute the gains at the end of the year. You'll have some long-term capital gains. So if you have stocks that are underperforming that you were going to sell and not repurchase to avoid wash sale rules, you could use those capital losses to offset some of those capital gains. What you don't want to have happen is to create capital losses and not have gains to offset them because capital losses are only allowed up to $3,000 in a deduction. So you want to make sure you time the losses with the gains, and that's what they call that loss harvesting. So if I'm listening here and I had a capital gain earlier in the year, this might be something that I can go do here at the year end to help kind of lower that overall gain and the overall tax. Correct. Um, everyone says, beware of wash sales. In general terms, what is a wash sale? Well, that's an interesting question there. You really have to go back to the financial advisor, but it's 30 days before a transaction or 30 days after. The total period is 61 days because it's the holding day plus the two 30-day periods prior and post. If you buy the exact identical stock within that time frame, when you're trying to harvest the loss, it'll be disallowed under the wash sale rules. So it's more complicated, but basically you can't just go sell all your stock and buy it right back immediately. There are some rules around that that you have to be careful for. So you just need to reach out to your investment advisor and your CPA to understand when you're trying to limit these capital gains, what you can and can't do. Make sure you stay within the rules. Exactly. And just to add a little bit, as far as trying to work around those rules, I've seen where ETFs are used to stay in that industry in the market that is deemed not identical. So there are strategies to work around it. And Cheryl, is the investment tax still applicable for this year? Or maybe kind of just remind people what that is? Yeah, so the long-term and capital gains rates also aren't expected to change. So they're supposed to be similar to the prior year. And then also the net investment tax at 3.8% is still in play for taxpayers that have adjusted gross incomes over 200000 Got it. So if your income's over two hundred grand and you have kind of capital gains... Or, and, and, and rental income, investment-type income, correct? Right. You'll get that extra, extra percentage, so you need to plan percent. for it. Excellent. So another question, and David, you can kind of address this, is people ask us a lot about retirement plans this type of year, especially if they're self-employed, right? It's our individual tax planning podcast, so we're looking at a lot of self-employed, what we call Schedule C or single-member LLC kind of businesses, and they want to do some tax planning and some retirement planning. What are some options for them as they come up here towards year-end? I think that's a good question. One very flexible plan would be like a a SEP IRA plan. Very flexible, administrative cost-wise, very low, and can be done by the end of the year, meaning if it's in place 1231, you can fund it for the entire year. So that's one avenue for late year-end planning. That's more or less if you have a one or two ownership or less, you know, one or two employees, because one of the downsides with that is that if you give 25% funding to the owner, you give 25% funding to everyone else. Another good plan is the the simple plan. I look at that as being the next step up. It's fairly flexible. 
low in administrative costs, but the design has to be done somewhere between January 1st and October 1st of every year. It can't be done towards the end of the year. Having up to maybe 25 employees where they may or may not be interested in deferring for tax savings and putting into the plan where the owner might be. And so it's more of a deferral mechanism. And in relation to that, it's for 2023, that deferral is 15.5. If you're 50 or older, that could be up to 18.5 per year. And the employer cost would be two to 3%. It depends what contribution level they elect in the plan. Now in 401ks, that's the next step up. That's kind of growing into a bigger business type plan because these can get really complicated from employer piece because you have non-discrimination requirements, you have a form 5500 filing, so the administrative costs go up, but also the deferral mechanism goes up to 22.5, and if you're 50 or older, 30,000. Now, on top of that, the overall limit to a plan like that is 66,000 in 2023, but that's excluding the catch-up provision. But taking that into consideration, you can set up matching, profit sharing, all sorts of ways to get around non-discrimination if you have low participation in your plan. But it's just another example of building up and incentivizing and training your employees to save for retirement, just bigger and better plans. Now, if you can step up, again, depending if your revenue mixture, net profits allow you to, there's plans called defined benefit plans. They're structured to set a target that I want to retire at, and that's the funding mechanism that can occur. So that could be upwards of a year in funding. So depending on how the employer is able to pay and cash flow for these activities and how the employees want to participate or not all make a big difference in what plan you choose. Yeah, and you can get the defined benefits, the 401ks, cash balance plans. They can get pretty complex, but if people are making good money off their business, there's different ways that you can set those up. What about just your straightforward traditional and Roth IRAs. Where are we at this year for those? I think those are sometimes overlooked in the planning process. A lot of times when I hear them is when we're getting up to April 15th saying, hey, what else can I do? I didn't know I owed that much money. Well, we need to take a look at that and see how the funding can occur. I put those IRAs into a category. They're new people just starting into retirement, maybe don't have a plan at work, or they have a plan at work and they want to supplement their retirement. Where we're at as far as overall limitation on that is at $6,500 maximum amount. And that would be for all three of them. And if you're age 50, it's another $1,000 catch up, which would put you at $7,500. The question that comes up quite a bit, and I'm not sure why, because these IRAs have been around quite a while now, but there's three different types of IRAs, right? There's the deductible IRA, there's the non-deductible IRA, and there's the Roth IRA. And each one of those could be strategized to meet a goal depending upon what you're trying to accomplish. So if you're in a position and meet the requirements, you could do a deductible IRA, maybe in coordination with another plan, maybe not. There are spousal rules that may come into play that could affect which IRA is better or not. 
whether or not you get a deduction. I usually start with a deductible. If that doesn't work, I move to the Roth. If the income limits aren't met and they can't do that, I go to the non-deductible. And that's a Form 8606 tracking of the basis on your tax return. But with that, the next question I ask is, hey, do you have any other IRAs, traditional IRAs in place? And if you don't have a rollover IRA or something like that, we may be able to recharacterize that non-deductible to a Roth and get you into that better account anyway. So that's kind of an overview of IRAs. Yeah, just lots of options when it comes to retirement. And I think this time of the year, you know, sometimes we're a little too late to set up some plans for this year, but it's a great time as we look forward and do some planning for next year as well about possibly setting up plans for next year, right? You don't have to wait till September 29th to try and get it before October 1st, right? So there are some opportunities here with some of these plans, but some of the ideas here are looking out in the future as well to plan for both this year and next year. Absolutely. Yes. So if we keep on going down, we have retirement plans and kind of our income and timing of income or deductions. But then you look at itemized deductions, even specifically IDO deductions or credits. Maybe we can go over some highlights of certain ones to look at. Doesn't feel like there's been a ton of changes in this year. So pretty consistent with last year. But Cheryl, maybe just walk us through some and highlight a few. Sure. Some of the favorable Idaho deductions for taxpayers would be the capital gains deduction. So knowing that if you have a long-term capital gain with an Idaho property, that you can get up to a 60% deduction off that capital gain. Knowing that Idaho doesn't tax Social Security benefits or the military police fire retirees also, so subtracting that from your Idaho income. Looking at your medical insurance, so maybe you don't itemize, but you still pay health insurance premiums, so you can get a deduction for those in Idaho. Really quick, when you say you don't itemize, explain what that what you're talking about. Sure. There. If so, if your total itemized deductions are less than the standard deduction for you in a given year, then you would take the standard deduction. And so, since you didn't get a benefit of those medical insurance premiums on your federal return, you can get benefit for them on your Idaho tax return. Awesome. So, trying to incentivize, yeah. I think, Idahoans to have medical insurance. Bonus depreciation, so that's one that can either be a positive or a negative. Idaho typically does not conform to bonus depreciation deductions, and so you will have an annual either addition or subtraction from your federal tax return, so remembering to capture that amount. So you could also contribute to the IDL college savings plan up to $12,000. You have to make those contributions by December 31st, and for Idaho, you can only deduct to the IDL college savings plan, not any other plan. On that, is that only for your own children or can you contribute for grandchildren or any, you know, friends' children's or is it just limited to yourself? You can name whoever as a beneficiary. So I think it's opened up to grandchildren and you could still be the owner of the account as the grandparent. So So. possibly a tax planning for grandparents or people who have small children that want to put a little bit of money away each year to save for college. They can use this and get a little tax credit in Idaho. Exactly. Yes. 
So you can also use it for your elementary school tuition as well, up to $10,000 of it. So those are deductions, and the IDL is also a deduction, not a credit. There are a couple of credits that sometimes get overlooked by taxpayers, and that is contributions to some rehabilitation centers or to Idaho schools. They all qualify for a little bit extra credit on your Idaho tax return. So even if you don't track your contributions because you're not going to be over that standard deduction we just talked about on your federal return, you still want to track your Idaho-specific deductions and make sure you get your credit on your tax return for those. Awesome. Since we're on credits, I've had more and more people driving around town in these electric vehicles, and we had the Inflation Reductionary Act. Maybe just give us an update on where those credits stand and how they work. So for 2023, if you buy a new electric vehicle, you could be eligible to a tax credit up to $7,500. And if you buy a used electric car, up to $4,000. These credits are non-refundable, though, so you have to have tax in the current year to offset, to take advantage of those credits. And there's some reporting requirements, like your VIN number and some other things to make sure that you get to qualify for those credits. And it looks like maybe the IRS will expand that program and allow you to transfer the credit to the dealer in 2024 so that you can reduce the price of your car if you are in a situation where you don't have taxable income to offset a credit yourself you could transfer that to the dealership who would and then get a reduced price on your vehicle excellent so that's interesting yeah we'll see if that goes through <laughs> trying to generate some more electric vehicle sales <laughs> so we've got retirement plans, we've got income timing and deductions, we've got credits, we've got all these things kind of coming together here at the end of the year. But David, clients come in and they start talking about all of this is is kind of centered around cash flow and budgeting type scenarios. You've got maybe some estate planning as well. How do you wrap around the decisions that you're making just for current year taxes and planning for your clients? I think that kind of boils down to questions we get asked a lot is, how do you do that? How do you accomplish it? And it's really, we start to put together the income tax side. We always kind of get too caught up in the tax side of things that we don't evaluate the overall picture. But it's a good starting point because that kind of gives us where earnings coming from, where do we have investments, and allows us to kind of progress into that estate world or gifting and what age are we at? And should we consider asset protection? Should we consider putting other things in place that protect our families? And it's not just income tax. Sometimes it can cost us tax to do certain things to achieve our goals with our estate planning and gifting. But as we kind of go through the process, sometimes we will budget out timing with spreadsheets to kind of see how we can make it flow. And it's not just a annual look, even though it seems like it is every year, but that's really the starting point where we try to project out. But in recent years, the tax legislation really hasn't helped us to do long-term planning from that standpoint. So I think we've gotten away from it, but we try to be diligent in our planning services to not only look at this year, next year, what's coming up, and also to protect the family as a whole, whether that's asset protection, whether that's size of a state, whether that's we need to do some gifting, we need to plan for retirement. How do we do all of those things? So I think it's all encompassing. 
Yeah. We get very busy throughout the whole year. We all do. And we're running around, we're either working or playing or doing whatever we're doing. And this is a great time of year to kind of sit back and stop, think about where we're standing for this year, but also the future. And like you said, our whole family and everything, not just from a tax perspective, but a financial perspective and just ensuring, making plans and looking ahead. I think as people come in to do tax planning, to think a little bit more than just the current year is important because there's everything we've touched on today and there's so many other things. If you're buying and selling your houses or real estate or timing of issues, there's tons of different topics that we could go into and a perfect time is to come in and talk to your tax advisor and kind of go over those strategies or see if there's options out there for you. Yeah, I agree. Planning is just one of those things that's individualistic. Uh, circumstances are all different between all of us. So these are just ideas and options and things to consider. But yeah, do seek your tax professional and advisor. And if you're planning to do something, always come to us before you do it, because it could potentially be structured in a different way to save you taxes instead of like, oh, I sold this or I did this. Good point. Coming Coming in advance is always beneficial. Well, thank you, David and Cheryl, for coming on the podcast today and and giving some ideas. I think overall, touching base with your tax advisor, reaching out, planning for not only this year and next year, although things have stayed pretty consistent, there's still always some changes because life changes as well. And so different transactions come in and out, and it's just great to touch base and go through tax planning each year. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Harris CPA's Accounting for Tomorrow. Stay tuned for new episodes each month. Podcasts are also available on our website at harriscpas.com slash podcasts. Any accounting business or tax advice contained in this podcast is not intended as a thorough in-depth analysis of specific issues, nor a substitute for a formal opinion, nor is it sufficient to avoid tax-related penalties. If you'd like, Harris CPAs would be pleased to perform the research and provide you with a detailed analysis of your specific situation. Thank you.